With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Train all alone at dawn, back into the hole where I was born. The sun in the sky never raised an eye to me. There's blood on the tracks, they must be mine. The fool on the hill, but I feel fine. Don't look back, because you know what you might see. All my people right here, right now, do you know what I mean? Ladies and gentlemen, we are floating in Scream Asylum. My name is Russell Boyce. And probably the only time you'll ever hear me be able to introduce my guest as Paul John Dykes. 
Paul, how you getting on? Stepping for Big Kev tonight. Thank you very much, mate. Big boots to fill, Russell oh. Boyce. Uh, not just his boots, but the partnership. It's a big partnership, and I'm going to have to apologise <laughs> in advance to everybody who's tuning in to watch the, the gruesome twosome. I just need to... You know, I just need to know my place tonight because <laughs> when when you started the, the lyrics there, it takes me back. I mean, right. that single, I, I might not uh, talk about Oasis um, in the same kind of revered tones as yourself from time to time, but they were so important to me in the 1990s or so. That band yeah. was so important. And I just remember back in the day, some people might find this absurd. Uh, looking back, it maybe was. I remember queuing up for that single. And right. our price, our price in Dunfermline. Queuing exactly. up for do you know what I mean? And that's how much you invested in a band. You know what I mean? Right. It was the, the day of release and you wanted to buy. And back then, the good thing about buying Oasis singles was the B-sides. I know, I know. And another funny story with that song was in one of the pubs in Bridge of Allen, I was too young at the time, obviously, but one of the punters in my pub told me that, he says, see that day it got went on MTV for the first time? He goes, it was like a Monday. He goes, and the pub was mobbed. Because not everyone had Sky. He goes, the pub was mobbed just to watch the premiere of that video. He goes, you'll never get that again with, with bands. You know what I mean? It's no, un- unparalleled, eh? It definitely was, right? And see the thing with Oasis, they just keep coming back into my life, right? <laughs> so back in the day, um, you know, obviously people have accused me of looking like a pound shop Johnny Marr uh, because of my Matalan jackets and my hairdo. <laughs> and the thing is, I take that as a compliment, right? Because Johnny Marr, he's doing all right for his age. Uh, Although I, I, I do think that's a wig though. And um, when you look back, the, the one th- I didn't wear the cagoules like Liam and I didn't have the swagger or the hair but the guy knew a good pair of shoes. So I, yeah. I was influenced with the old sh- in the shoe department. Um, so Liam Gallagher back then, uh, everybody, you certainly in my school, wanted to, to walk around like uh, Liam. And the, the strange thing is, I'm from Fife, as most people know. But all of a sudden, Russell, people started mm-hmm. calling their wee brothers our kid, as if they were in Manchester. Uh, swaggering about calling their wee brother our kid and you're like wow this is just this is taking things to absolutely new levels eh? but Oasis were important and they they continue to be important because I'm a big fan of both their solo work as well so I'm still a big fan still a big fan still hoping for the day that uh, I can go and watch them but you said Bridgie Allen there right here's the thing there is or was a place in Bannockburn called McHugh's yeah, a yeah, venue, yeah. right? Well, yeah. one of my... Did you? Upstairs, uh, eh? Aye. Uh, uh, uh. One of my first uh, music assignments when I was doing the music writing was to go and interview Bonehead. And he, he was playing at McHugh's. I kid you not. I remember that. Yeah. I remember when he did that. I was there. Were you there? I've got uh, photos. Like, I've got photos. There's maybe a photo of you and me embracing. Who knows? You never know. Well, me Aye. and Kev have worked out. We reckon we've been in each other's company once as well via default because it was the one of the European games we actually covered on this. Mm-hmm. And we worked out that night. I was I was been working, so I had to work these sort of nights. And he was like, I was at a wedding along the road and I snuck away to watch that game. So I was probably serving him beer. It's <laughs> incredible, eh? You've mentioned yeah. Kevin. I'm missing him already. What I will say to anybody watching is you won't get the same psychedelia that you maybe would when Kevin's on the show because he's a psychedelic fella. Um, and I'm more kind of like, you know, I don't go for the parallel universe. I go for the universe I'm actually existing in. But that's why we love Kevin. We're going to miss <laughs> him tonight. But I'm not going to try and be a Kev. That's why, I mean, the lyrics and all that right. kind of stuff, that's over you. But Oasis, before we move on, I mean... 
back then, as you say, we'll never see the likes again because of the the cultural impact that a band like Oasis had was similar to you know the the impact of the Roses, where people when when people start dressing and talking like the bands as well as being into their music, then you yeah, know um, that they've made a cultural impact. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and it's like punk. It's like punk. You know, there was a cultural yep. impact to punk. And often it's because they're reacting. And this is important. It's re- they're reacting to a period of time, often politically, that uh, oppresses the working classes. And what happens is all these people who are creative and who are artists, um, they rebel by, you know, creating art. And a lot of that time that comes out in the form of music. And it's a, it's a, it's a way to rebel against, um, you know, those in charge. And I just hope, Russell, that when we come out of this lockdown, there is a whole uh, deluge of fantastic music and there's a movement and people who have been, you know, locked up indoors want to get out and play live and set up bands, you know. Talk to retrain as well. You know, that's got to get your back up, you know. I know. That's got to get your back up. If you're getting told to retrain when you've been given a gift, you know, it's like that's just you put two fingers up to that and inspires you even more to uh, stick to what it is that you're dedicated to. Now, well, as well as running the show, mate. as long as running the show, you've also got to answer the questions, mate, and they're coming in thick and fast about your co-host. Well, Kev, I'm afraid, isn't with us right now. He's been on a wee trip with uh, Scott Bain, sorry about a Bosman, but he got his words all, his words all tangled, eh? so I'm Is that, is that a Bosman? Aye, aye, aye. I get it. <laughs> um, he is looking for a move away he may well end up on something like awesome uh, that Rangers state of mind I don't know where he's going to be so we'll find out um, hopefully we'll be back next week though um, firmly with both these boys uh, and maybe not with Scott Bain I don't know uh, but we need to go in the DeLorean and do where we are going is 1999 February Fur Park um and a game against Motherwell where we scored it wasn't just a rout, it was an absolute destruction. But on Fletching Paul, I think if the scoreline read Henrik Larson seven Motherwell won, it would have been still fair. Because this for me is when he started take he started he was a player who we weren't led to believe was a goal scoring machine. Mm-hmm. He was more he could play in the hole or he could play up front, but he was more a creator and he would score goals, but he wasn't maybe going to be a, a wrecking machine in front of goals, you know what I mean? Henrik Larsson, by the after this game, is now is standing after the match finishes on 25 league goals in 16 games. <laughs> it's his 30th in all competitions. And this is the 19th of February, 21st of February, something like that. Um, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal record. And then, he scores four out of seven, but it's his contribution. He's involved mm. in everything. One of them's not even a direct assist, but he's skinned two boys, still got the head up to ping it out to the left, cut in for a virtual goal. We'll get to it all. But I think um, it's one of those games that you always, the, the best memories that you associate with Henrik for me are always first season because of the goal to start the 10, and then he's a real heyday. Do you know what I mean? Where he just became. I think he was in the. I think he was. At, you're looking at the conversation of top ten strikers in Europe at that point in time. I think that's fair. That's not Celtic bias. Um, but this game, you watch it and you go, you know, it's unreal. To go, games like that can almost go under the radar for this man. You know, mm, <laughs> that know. one. It's not one of the most mentioned, and yet when you reflect on, you watch the highlights. Like I'm sure you did. You go, he was everywhere. What a player. 
See the strange thing it's, it's the things you, you remember I was having a discussion with wee Declan earlier Because he was in doing the politics show uh-huh. It's the strange things you remember Like I remember that game And again you might add things to this And it embellishes it in your memory I remember that game when you said this was a game we were going to cover As being in heavy snow I remember that in my mind And then I watch it back and there was a few snowflakes And I'm thinking oh, It's weird how your mind plays tricks on you like no, that No 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 I think are we at the game no, I watched, I watched that game right. on Sky. So, that's very interesting you said that. Now, I'll tell you why you thought there was more snow, because I did a lot of thinking about that. So, the last three goals Celtic score, right, are in the last ten minutes of the game. Now, the boys' household's a nice place to be when Celtic are winning 7-1, usually. My dad is going mental, but not in a celebratory way. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio is a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. We've missed the last three goals because of the speckles in the sky screen. That's what it was. Remember, it was speckly satellite. Is that what it was? That's what it was. And the, the speckles are shocking that night mm. in a lot of areas because they'd apologised for it, I'm sure, at one point during the game. So there you go. And it was the, it was the signals and it was all the speckles on it was making you think. So my mind's, my mind's filled in the blanks there. Aye. You know, and... Uh, I don't believe the truth. Don't believe the truth. <laughs> Honestly. See see that thing, they call it, what's it, the, the golden hour. After something happens, right, there's a golden hour where your recollection, it's all about where that memory sits on your brain, right? Yeah. Uh, and then once it goes into the storage part, that's when it starts playing tricks on you. But that golden uh, hour is when it's true. Everything after that, you make it up. Yeah. I know. It's funny because it was such a, a point, that was the worst that I'd ever been those sky speckles at night and we win 7-1 and you know, he was going daft by this point, my dad. He was raging. And then when you said the snow thing there, I thought, that is uncanny because it, it would be easy to see why that has been where your memories took it, but that... It's it weird, yeah. like, Going back to your point about Larson, right? It was... Uh, th- there's some Celtic players that have ended up with Celtic almost as anomalies. And we'll get on to Maravchik later on as well in that famous story. But I remember when Larson signed, and I, I just remember him because he was so visually memorable yes. with, with, the, with the dreads. Uh, and when he signed, I remember him playing at the USA tournament in the World Cup. Yeah. 
1994. Yeah. And yeah. you just, you know, that's all you can remember of him and, and thinking that, all right, we've got this. And you remember <laughs> the type of player he was, but it, there was no real fanfare. But again, it was different back then because you didn't have the same access. You know, you couldn't just type in, watch a million videos of him, etc. But we only got him, not by default, but by a slight kind of stroke of luck from the previous manager, Vim Janssen. Knowing that there was, uh, you know, this this clause in his contract if he was to leave final, right. which many wouldn't have known about. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And then it was a similar scenario where Vengloss knows about Lubo, where the rest of us don't really know about Lubo as much, um, and we're able to get him. But I, I remember, like, you know, um, I interviewed a person uh, who was a, a Feyenoord, uh fan, and she she runs the the women's section of the supporters group. And I interviewed her for Axom, and it was actually for the 50th anniversary of Feyenoord beating Celtic in the European Cup final. Wow. Uh, you know, which was last year. So we, we put the video out, it's on the YouTube channel. But her, you know, her kind of view on Larson compared to our view as Celtic fans on Larson, and this was the club we got him from, good player. Just a good player, you know. And you think, wow, wow he went on and he developed with Celtic into, as you say, one of. Yep the elite strikers in European football. You look yeah. at that performance and compare it to um, Odson Edward and what he's capable of. Night and day, different levels. Night, night and day, and especially again, it's one of those ones as well, the conditions, teams not maybe having the best time of it. John Spencer had been sent off after 14 minutes for an elbow. These are the sort of games you look at Odson Edward who goes, well, I want nothing to do with that. Stephen Craig at the back, hoofing me up in the air every two minutes. Nobody <laughs> wants a part of that. Um, and Henrik's attitude was completely, completely different from that. Um, he was brave, strong in the air, he scores. He actually, I watched his goal, and it's just the reverse angle of the header he scores in the 5 1 win over Rangers. It's the exact same header he does. The exact same. I was like, it's, this, it's almost the same goal. You forget he was 5 foot 8. Oh, no. He was a beast in the air. An absolute So good beast. in the air. Aye. So good in the air. Um, but anyway, what Kev would normally do, right, is we go through the lineup. So we'll go through the lineup of the team, and you can tell me if anything sticks out at you, or if there's anyone you want to sort of go into in a wee bit more detail. So we lined up with Johnny Gould and Goals, Dan Boyd, Reset, Mialbe, Mahe. Uh, Mahe was subbed off with 12 minutes to go for Tosh McKinley, who I thought had left by then, to be fair. I didn't realise he was still, still there. You then had McNamara, Lambert, Maravchik, Blinker, Henrik Larson, Harold Bratback. Maravchik was taken off for Burnley. We'll get to that because he got injured. And Bratback was replaced by Burchill, who scored within about two seconds um, of being on the pitch. You look at that team. Now, Matt, we talk about this big rebuild, biggest rebuild since... Martin O'Neill, that's been quoted yeah. on the board by yours truly and yourself quite a few times, right? Now, Martin O'Neill's team started, I'm sure, that first 2000-2001 season, winning left, right and centre domestically with Gould, Boyd, Mialbe, Mahe, McNamara, Lambert, Maravchik, Larson. That's eight. Yep. You're right, right. and that, that's a concern. And there was another season in between this season and when O'Neill took over. Mm-hmm. And yet, they were all starting in Martin O'Neill's first season. So, I think the rebuild, it's important that you go, it sounds maybe worse than it is, 
If you get a good manager, he'll make the ones that are all underperforming rather than all having to leave out the out the exit door. He, if you get the right manager in, it says Eddie Howe for argument's sake, he can galvanise players and get them to buy into his ways, methods, philosophies, and then take them to that next level. And most importantly, rededicate them to the cause again, which I think was what Martin O'Neill was doing with a lot of them as well, making them realise what a big deal it was and what a privilege it was they had to actually be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. You look no further than someone like Bobby Petter for a prime example of that. Um, but yeah, that team, that's what caught me with. Is there anything in the team that's sort of is sticking out at you? Oh, definitely. I mean, see, when I look at that, there's so many names. You, you mentioned McKinley there, and uh, obviously McKinley, who um, head butty ten at last in the training, broke his nose. Right. The, the, you know, the, the previous uh, in the previous campaign, uh, that was seen as a watershed moment because apparently, according to the players I've spoken to, the Scottish players and overseas players, they, they were a bit cliquey. And that broke that tension, believe it or not, as well as breaking Larson's nose, it broke the tension. <laughs> um, so McKinley, yeah, I think he was on his last legs. But interestingly enough, there was a goal. And so maybe jumping forward a wee bit, but because we're talking about Tosh, there was a goal here. And I'm just going to double check which one it was. Uh, and there's a, there's a passage you play, right? And we are missing it. So... Yeah, here we go. So Henrik Larsson scored his third hat-trick in four games. Not only scored three goals, he scored four. But the goal that sealed his hat-trick, if you watch the passage you play, you've got Paul Lambert, a European Cup winner, right? Yep. And he picks the ball up. The way that he does it, um, the first part of the movement, he does exactly what Scott Brown does, right? So he goes back and he collects the ball from the defender. But instantly, what Lambert does is he turns on it, in one movement, he makes progress and he picks a ball out on the left wing to yes. where Tosh McKinley is already doing his overlap. And I just watched that. McKinley, he does he does what he done in the 95 Scottish Cup final and he finds his man because that's what he was brilliant at, right? But there was two parts of that goal that we can't do as a current Celtic team. The first one yep. is the link-up between defence and midfield, which yep. Scott Brown at some point has forgotten how to do. Lambert done it brilliantly. And then it was the use of the width. And not yep. only using the width, right? So you imagine that now going out to the left. Taylor wouldn't hit it, hit it first time. Taylor no. wouldn't find his man first time. And it's the simple things that at the time you're taking it for granted. It's all oh, beautiful bit of interplay. But they were doing that time and time again. So when I looked at that goal, I just thought McKinley, that was brilliant. He was great at that, you finding his man. You've got Lambert, European Cup winner in there as well Burley I think he was coming back from injury and you know goals from midfield unbelievable return from midfield Um, and then Burchill coming on as a sub he becomes more pivotal later on in the season when we get to the cup final but I've said before about Matt Burchill because he was left out of the team what I've said about him is that he was potentially the, the last goal scoring or potential goal scoring striker that we ever produced I don't think yep. we've produced a goal scorer since Mark, Mark Burchill. And he was a golden boy at this stage, wasn't he? You just thought oh, what that boy was going to go on and achieve at that point. He always scored. It was right. the pace. He could get in behind the defence. I mean, he would have been up against, what, Craigan and maybe Sean Teal, who Sean had had his Teal. best days Sean doing Aston Villa and that. So Burchill stands out for me. But Larson, like you say, what we were watching there was the development and and. Larson flourishing in a Celtic side which actually was struggling we were still 10 points behind Rangers after that victory 
which is incredible. Wow. But Larson with the dreads, you know, I just love the, the sight of him with the dreads. There's a great picture of him against Liverpool going up for a header and the dreads are just like an octopus, like Medusa. <laughs> I just, the guy, he was just an app. The best Celtic player I've ever seen and you know how much I love Paul McStay, but Larson's the best Celtic player I've ever seen in the flesh. Yeah, far. I agree with that. I think he's iconic as well. That was the thing. And sometimes you need that as well on a team, just someone who stands out, but a bit different. And then, because it's easier to idolise them, and you know deep down, the thing is, the footballs, footballs are all football fans as well, so they get all the same vibes that you get when you're seeing someone that's incredible. I mean, I think if you look at a lot of the, the interviews when players talk about working with him at last from day to day, they're kind of in awe of him. Mm. Like even they, even though they were his teammate, they're not. <laughs> even they didn't look at him as a peer; they looked at him as like, you know, up there like a fan would. So you definitely do need that, and. That also can inspire those around you to play better as well. If you didn't want to mark up, you play with him at last in the night. You didn't want to do a daft layoff, and you know when he's made a good run, you didn't want to miss him. So it can, yeah. it can also raise, elevate the, the the performance of those around him as well. Hundred percent, Russell. You're bringing back a, a memory, something that somebody told me. And by the way, I know that people say, "Oh, your name dropping and this and that." Listen, <laughs> I've I, I done a lot of interviews back in the day, so you get to speak to players. Yeah played for Celtic and it's a privilege to speak to these guys but this was during the um, the writing of the Andy Lynch book and there was a very interesting there was a really really interesting parallel between the two of them right so you've got Andy Lynch who played for Celtic in the 1970s and his son Simon who played with Celtic with Simon, Henry Larson yeah. and, and there was a, in fact not this season, but the following season when Larson comes back from his leg break, the last game of the season against Dundee United, Simon Lynch was playing in that game. Might even have been his debut. But interestingly enough, they had the same view. So you're talking about a teammate and looking up to a teammate. So you had Andy Lynch, who looked up to the number seven at the time, Kenny Dalglish. And you had Simon Lynch looking up to Henrik Larson. Now, wow. if, you didn't, if you didn't know who the player was, you could ask Simon and Andy the same question and they would give you the same answer. So if you said, right, we're talking about this number seven, tell me, what did he do differently for everybody else? And I'm not kidding you, right? Simon and Andy would give you the same answer. But Simon was talking about Henrik Larson, and Andy was talking about Kenny Dalglish. And it was all about the way that they approached every single training session. And I mean, they worked tirelessly for the game. Um, But the biggest thing is, Andy talks about scoring a goal in a Scottish Cup final, 1977, and how there was never a moment of doubt in his mind that that was going to go in. And he says that Paul, he's no psychologist, he says, but there's a certain zone for a footballer where you're doing things without thinking, and it's almost effortless. And the reason for that is because you're, you're mentally tuned in. Yes. He says, and the player that I knew that could do that more than anybody else was Kenny Dalglish. Yeah, and you've seen obviously how he benefited, but then if you speak to Simon, he says the exact same thing. The one player that could tune into a game, right, and be completely focused on that game was Henrik Larson. So oh, yeah. the parallels was incredible. Different generations, but the same approach to the game. Absolutely brilliant. See with the game and a couple of things as well. It was a shame Andy Gorham was missing. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Marketer's Report. 
This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Wasn't it? He was, he was missing for a wee bit of nonsense. Only went away. But it would have been great to have put the seven past him. Do you know what I mean? I think that would have been... That, you know... He caused a lot of heartbreak, do you know what I mean, for us. And I think it would have been, it would have been sweeter if it had been him and goals rather than our, of course, infamous goalkeeping coach now, Stevie Wood. So, you know, I don't you know. See him, to, see him trying to get down to Maravchik's free kick? <laughs> He's still gone down. <laughs> he actually is teaching Barcaster now, you know what I mean? Uh, I think we've seen the signs, mate. We've seen the signs why Barcaster. Uh, <laughs> we're, but, we're digging you out now, Stevie. You were getting we're, a free ride before this show, mate. <laughs> aye. But I think you make a good point about Gorham there because. You know, these are the things about Andy Gorham back in the day. And, um, you know, he was talking about uh, the mental health struggles that he had as a player, you know, when he used to call out to the Scotland squad and all this as well. So there was always that kind of sympathy. And then Tommy Burns with, with the words um, about, you know, having his his name on, on the gravestone, he broke his heart. But then I think back to the 3-3 game against Rangers when Gorham saved a penalty from uh, Pierre Van Hooydonk. Yep. And if you go back to that game and you can lip-read what Andy Gorham says to Pierre after he saved that penalty. Yeah. And it's difficult to like the guy. Right. I guess no, anybody, I get anybody, you know, who, and I've got sympathy for anybody who's got a, a mental health struggle. But um, when you watch that particular game, what he called Pierre Van Hooydonk after saving his penalty... You know, no, I, I've got no respect. I've got no respect for anybody that can behave like that. So, yeah, no. I, I agree. It would have been lovely to put seven past Andy Gorham. It'd be nice. It'd be a sweeter thing. And there was a player in the midfield for Celtic as well, right? So I was trying to think. Just what, what I was trying to do in the show is like, kind of, you look back at years like you kind of did straight away, and then you compare it with the modern, like the modern equivalent or the modern. So you know, it's easy to have the conversation. Retaining Larson have been a fifty million pound player, a hundred million pound player, right? But, but it was the Burnley playing in the midfield came for Chelsea. Mm. I haven't played over 100 games for Chelsea. In the English Premier League, probably a club at that point in time, I think they've been in two FA Cup finals in the last couple of years, in, in that spell that he was sorry, in the first team, um, and probably finishing, I don't know, fifth, fourth, around there. Mm-hmm. We were bringing in him then for £2.5 million. Pounds. So that was, what, 98, I think. £2.5 million. You go fast forward 23 years. What is the equivalent of that? Because for Celtic, two and a half million is still big pennies um, to be signing on a player. You know, that's still, you know, it's still seen as a lot. It's a vacuum bio. You know what I mean? It's, it's bio money. And then you wonder why the team's deteriorating a wee bit. And you go, Celtics never seem to have... I, I get the Scottish football income is 
dwarfed by other countries and that. But the one trick Celtic have for being in a in a smaller league is it's easier to win it. And that then gets you access to Champions League riches. And I think when you look over at how many years we've missed out on 35 million bounties, maybe maybe the odd season will run even further than that in the tournament. Again, it enhances then the value of your full squad. You're mm-hmm. not selling Van Dyke for 12 million, you're selling him for 20, plus he's 20% selling fee or whatever it was. That's the thing because they're Champions League regulars. Yeah. And that's what, that's the difference. That's where we've not put the foot down. I just think, you know, that signing Craig Burley then would be the equivalent of us signing what? Kovacic, something like that from Chelsea the night. <laughs> and you think how far removed from reality that now is for Celtic. Not all Celtic's doing, but we could only, Celtic could only impact Celtic. Do you know what I mean? So we can't worry about what the, what the other leagues are doing and what crazy billions are getting put in that. But what more could we have done to be able to still attract, not just on loan, because I hate that. I hate mm. that loan push. Honestly, I hate it. I would like to see us being able to compete at a higher or a bigger table in terms of transfers than what we are. And that is going to involve a lot of hard work now and a bigger name manager for us, for, for sure. But I just thought, you looked at Craig Burley, I thought, is we signed him from again. And there he is, Chelsea, over 100 yeah. pieces for Chelsea. And you go, that ain't happening again anytime soon for us. You know, that's you know that's a struggling Celtic team, remember. Well, listen, I think that, that point you make there, you could also say that about Paul Lambert. We signed a European Cup winner, Paul <laughs> Lambert for Borussia Dortmund. And the big thing with that, which I love, I always will bring this up every time the two of them get mentioned, is that um, they were identified by Tommy Burns. So Tommy wow. Burns had obviously um, set up this massive uh, scouting operation and, you know, Davey Hay was part of that. Andy Ritchie was part of that. Uh, and Davey Hay's remit a lot of the time was the overseas players. So you're bringing in players like Decanio, Van Hooydonk, George Cadet, Andy Tom. You know, we almost signed David Ginola. You know, yeah. th- these these things that you look back on, you think, wow. But two of the other players that had been identified by Tommy as part of that scouting process were Craig Burley and Paul Lambert. It just yeah. so happens that by the time we got, they were available and we bought them, you know, a different manager had come in. And I always use that as an uh, as a, an example when people, you know, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm part of this problem, I guess. People are going on and complaining about Celtic signing players when the manager doesn't have the final say. Well, you know, when you look at Paul Lambert coming in under Vim Janssen, in fact, uh, Craig Burley also coming in under Vim Janssen, how much you say did he have? I'm sure he would have had the final unlikely. say. You know? It was highly unlikely that was on his wee, like, scroll of paper. The back of uh, Vim Janssen's fag pack, it was Craig Burley. I doubt it, you know what I mean? I know, fag pack, I like that, Lambert and Burley, aye. <laughs> Because uh, I think they used to call him Butler, uh, Lambert and Butler. So, uh, no, you're right. So th- th- these are these are deals that are, that were maybe 12 months in the making, and, and you know, yeah. Vim Janssen's come into it, and he's, you're not going to turn them down. But you know, they weren't his players, really. Um, Jackson, Vim Janssen signed as well. Again, I don't know how much Vim Janssen was following Darren Jackson's career when he was in Holland. I'm going to guess <laughs> not that much, but I don't know. What, I don't have a disrespect to Darren Jackson. Decent player and all that but I think you're right I think it's you know there's there's got to be more elements involved than just a manager picking a player you know or going with a list of players and getting every single one of them 
But then it comes down to, I suppose, and then it's supposed to contradict it. I don't know how well did Wim Janssen know Davy Hay. I know. Why I mean, would they be trusting David Hay? So this is where you now get to the issue now with a manager, right? Is they need to have full faith that the guy suggesting players, even if they've not heard of him, they trust implicitly. Yep. Hence, you might end up with Eddie Howe wanting a Richard Hughes there, for example. But the flip side is, is that always right? Or should it be the best guy in the dugout and the best guy who can identify players and they're going to need to work together? It's a tough one to, to weigh up and I wonder what one works most successfully. Because uh, you can, just to finish, sorry, could you, could, you ever, could you ever imagine to be cynical that if you're bringing your buddy in to be the director of football, the guy who identifies players, could it really just be the list that you gave him that he's working off? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> See, I, I think the, the Vim Janssen, um, we've come all these years later, but I think the Vim Janssen example is a good one because Murdo McLeod was in place before Janssen came in. Now, how, how often have we how often have we criticised Celtic for doing that oh, we'll set up your backroom team but it didn't harm Vim Janssen no you know didn't harm him he came in um, I mean there's oh, no doubt I'm back where JP was yes I'm blaming Covid all over again <laughs> <laughs> talking of Covid uh, 1999's Covid was Y2K that was the one that was going to end the world wasn't it the millennium bug mate they were just 20 years out Paul I know. <laughs> 20 I know. years out the real millennium bug happened in 2020, not 2000. See, I find it really, really interesting that back then, I, I, I could not fail to remember this, that um, where you currently work, I worked there. I yep. actually worked where you currently work. And they, they handed out these mugs, right? And they were Y2K mugs. What to do in the event of every single account being lost overnight and all this stuff and there was an emergency phone line and all this and everybody was like building up to this moment where you know you were getting ready to start looting shops and everything and nicking computers <laughs> and that and it didn't quite right. happen it was about a damn squig 20 years on still kind of getting passed on to you know what I mean <laughs> But that reminds me then as well of the, the, the kind of songs that not necessarily we're going to be talking about, but songs like Prince 1999, uh, Pulp, Disco 2000, you know, because you were, there was this, you know, expectation that that would be the best new year of all time, you know, moving into the new millennium and everything else. And I don't know if I appreciated it, to be fair, because everybody was so paranoid that the world was just going to end and all the streetlights would start going out and, you know, there'd be some kind of alien invasion. But as you say, they were just 20 years too late, weren't they? I know, I know. And back to the game as well, right? So the first three goals are all dead balls. Henrik with a penalty. Jed Brannan with a feature free kick for Motherwell. He actually equalised with 10 men. You, you, you wouldn't have thought at that point, OK, they're down to 10 men. But you wouldn't have thought they were in for a... You know, they've got themselves back in the game, a 7-1 drubbing. Um, and then Lugo's free kick. Now, we spoke a couple of weeks ago in Scream Celica for a long time about Nakamura's techers. Mm. So I've got to ask you the question, who had the better techers? Naka or Lugo? See, this is where you've got to try and get the perception out your mind and then look at the two of them and say, right, let's try and even this up. Because I preferred, as a player... And an era, even I preferred Lubo, right? Yeah. As a as a player, um, but when it comes to technique, and I've I've heard so many people saying they've never seen somebody kicking a ball with both feet 
the way that Maravchik could do it, he could do it with you know corner yeah. kicks, the works. Ah, oh, he was a magician. But then you look at Nakamura and you think he's some of the things he could do with a ball. I tell you what, that's a that's a difficult question, boy. So you should have you should have prepared me for that one. Um, <laughs> the messer becomes the messy. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go all in and admit before I answer this that a lot of this might just be the you know I'm reminiscing here now. Look, it's nostalgic. I'm going to go Lubo. Yeah, I think Lubo as well because of the two footed aspect. I think he was. I think Nakamura could use his right foot. I don't think he wasn't like like a Laurel Nobel who literally just used his right foot for balance, you know what I mean? I think, but I always remember with Lubo, right? And it's one of these things that folk won't remember, but I remember at the time when there's no one noticed he just did that. He comes on as a sub, I'm sure it was Rosenberg away in the Champions League, comes on as a sub, we've got a free kick, and he just jogs on, doesn't break stride and hits the free kick. So he's done like a 30-yard run-up from the touchline and has a shot. You know, like you never actually stopped. You just ran on, and you know, who can do that? You've not even looked at the angles yet. Like you've not stood behind the ball, took in the angles of that. Or, or he didn't score like they get me wrong. But I mean, I just thought stuff like that's just magic, isn't it? See, th- th- sometimes I mean, people remember him controlling the ball with his backside against yeah. Hearts and all this different Unreal. stuff. You know, his first game against Rangers and all that, which, you know, you've got to remember all that. But sometimes, I mean, I remember um, his performance against Bordeaux at Celtic Park. He scored that night as well. And, and well, it's yeah, just sometimes... Well, that, the, that was that for them, wasn't it? Oh, I would need to check the wiki uh, for that really one, mate. Landis, I think he, he scored two against us and then flopped in the English Premier League. They must have thought he was half-decent. So we're just crapping Europe, mate. Honestly, anyway, <laughs> could have been anyone. <laughs> I know, I know. But I just remember that performance oh. of Lubo and watching him intently. And uh, I used to do the same with, with Larson as well. And at, and at that time, I used to take my nephew to the games. And, uh, you know, he thought I was a complete strange kind of character because I would say, right, watch him. And he's like, I'm watching the game. But I used to watch specific players when I went yeah, yeah, yeah. back in those days. Um because you could, and I was interested to see the work off the ball. How did they get that space? The, the guy was an yep. absolute genius. One other point I'd say about Larson as well is that, um, you know that old saying, to make something look effortless takes a lot of effort. Mm. That, that's what comes to my mind when I think about Larson, because um, Neil Lennon and Chris Sutton actually agreed and said that you know they would need to, even on family holidays, uh, try and keep fit, go for runs on the beach before the kids got up and all this kind of stuff during pre-season, right? And they would turn up and Larson's not done a thing, but he would had, he's not put on a single pound, not an ounce, just this natural ability. But what I believe, having spoken to a lot of people, is I bet that's not the case. You know, no I bet he's been, he's been dedicated through the, the pre-season. And um, he's just making it look effortless, Russell. You know, he's turning up a wee bit nonchalant, thinking, you know, this is all natural, guys. But he's actually worked for it, you know. Of course, of course. No, I totally I'd subscribe to that massively. I think that's that's definitely the case. I think as well with the game, was the variety of goals that he scored. So obviously mm. the, the, the penalties, which me and Kev spoke about a couple of penalties Henrik missed, maybe, you know, after a while. But I think sometimes... I know Dennis Irwin did it for years at United was a penalty taker, but I think sometimes, I suppose if they're not missing, why would you take them out the final line? But I don't know, I think that should maybe come with a, you know, a time span as well and just pass it on because it definitely, it, it could become a bit of a burden. And then you've, there's far more research 
for goalkeepers to work out, you know, how often he goes down the middle, how often or his body shape and he's going to put it a corner if they've got more of a catalogue of penalties to to work with. But that penalty puts in is de- the definition of side netting. Um, and then you're looking at the the goal where he skins three or four boys all at once and he just hammers it down the middle. He just drills it. Aye. And you go, there's the variety. And then the Tosh McKinley, ironically, cross. <laughs> you know, obviously they were scrapping the year before and then Tosh McKinley puts this cross and the goalie actually stands kind of in anticipation of this ball going high in the top corner, whatever it was. Larson really just just cushions it on his foot along the deck on a volley, a very unusual volley, not the type of volley you see you see very often. And again, just pure technique. I mean, it's, you know, it's like he's wearing slippers. For it. That's what it's like the balls came off because that's travelled, as you say, 30, 40 yards because it was hit early by Tosh McKinley. And yeah, when it comes off its foot, it's actually trickling over the goal line. Frightening. Um, and then you've got the header. And I just feel, for me, that encompassed what he was all about in the sense that he scored all varieties of goals. All varieties of goals, even yep. in the one game. <laughs> like that. And yeah, it, uh, to have all that in your locker is truly just just immense. And, and, and it's a shame that, that when you look at that team... And it, as I say, there was that gap between the, the 2000-2001 season where we romped it with a lot of that same same lineup, you know, as, mm-hmm. as I pointed out. It's funny that they probably at no point realised because of Rangers' dominance, dominance Rangers were a treble that season or whatever, they probably never realised they were on the cusp or there was just sign missing, but they were actually one hell of a side as, a, as a, the nucleus was there. Um, they just needed... You know, I don't know that magic dust. You know what I mean? See the nucleus that you talk about. I think when you're looking at it now, and the hindsight's a great thing, but they'd proved it. You know, the season before, so we should have known that the uh, the likes of Larson, uh, Maravchik, th- th- these types of players, Maravchik came in this season. Lambert, for example, McNamara, solid. Um, one thing I would say about the, the the free kick from Jed Brannan is that uh, yeah. John, Johnny Gould should have got that. God, he should have got that. But there was that nucleus, and as you say, you then bring in the uh, orchestrator that um, Martin O'Neill to to do the the magic with him. My concern for next season, if I could just jump into a topical yeah, yeah, term yeah. at the moment, is that um, for example, the nucleus of the let's say the defence, we could be looking at Bain, Ralston, Taylor, Welsh, and Hendry, or Barkas, O'Connor, Ball and Golly, Held and Beaton. At the moment, yeah. that so. I've got major concerns about the facelift that we require for, for the for the team. Um, the goal that you mentioned where he's got absolutely no right to take on the four defenders because they're completely blocking his route. And somehow, and there's one moment, and it might be big Sean Teal, he just goes to the ground and you think, well, he can't get past that. Somehow, he meanders his way through it. And the one player in our current team who's tremendous at doing that is Hudson Edward, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the feet, sometimes the feet are incredible. But a lot of the time, there isn't the end product. What did Larson do? 12 yards out, sticks it away. Hammers it. That's cool, different. cool as you like. It doesn't all need to be nice. It doesn't all need to be nice. Mm-hmm. You can finish ugly sometimes as well. I mean, we spoke about, obviously, the volley at Ibrox in the Scottish Cup from Edward, when he just needed to put his laces through it, and instead he's went for that bizarre flick thing. And you look at Larson there, he's, he's basically on the penalty spot sort of area. And in, so he had the ability to go, not everything needs to be nice. I've just done the nice bit. He just rifles it straight, low and hard. 
it goes actually down the middle of the goal. It's just, you know what I mean? It's not even in the corner of that, but it's just going, knowing when to play nice and knowing when to win. And I think there's a big difference. And as for the fast feet work thing with Edward, the difference with Henry was there was actually players there. He tries to do it when there's nobody even there half the time. He's trying to take that ball in. Beats, <laughs> he beats himself. There's nobody there, mate. And if there is, it's like... Some did it for Hamilton, do you know what I mean? You're like, come right down, mate, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Make Never. it over, he overcomplicates. He does. Overcomplicates simpler situations. Now, is that because he's not, his heart's not in it and he's not taking it as seriously as he should be? Or if you are finding situations, situations like that that complicated, maybe you're not as good as what we thought you were because you've got to know the difference, see? Eh? I think a big, ah, you're right. Like that chance against Rangers, I wouldn't try that in my back garden, kicking a ball about <laughs> my wee boy, right? But I also wouldn't try his uh, Penenka, you call it the the, yeah. the what he done against Craig Gordon. Yeah, I wouldn't have tried that either. So when it comes to the the kind of arrogant side of it, if you don't pull it off, you look like a complete diddy. And I think that's what happened for Eddie. Interestingly enough, you mentioned it's John Spencer was sent off that night against uh, Celtic for Motherwell. And obviously, Maravchik starred. Unfortunately, got injured this night. And I think he was off for the, the remainder Remind of the, the season. season. Cup final, he came back. Aye. And it just brings to, to, to light again the fact that, you know, John Spencer was a player that Hugh Keevans thought we should have signed instead of Maravchik. And it just shows you the complete lack of respect. Now, we've been talking today about guys getting banned from Celtic Park for saying things that the club don't like or criticising the club and obviously there was a bit of that around the old Hugh Keevans but back then as much as I like Hugh Keevans he should have got banned from football for saying that do you know what I mean <laughs> after Maravich's first couple of games you've just been winging it the whole time here. the whole time you don't exactly. anything about this game mate do you know what I mean <laughs> had played in the 1990 World Cup finals you know for Czechoslovakia uh-huh. under ironically enough, under Joseph Wengloss. And I always remember that because I think there was some kind of deal. My dad had uh, bought Gillette razors and you got a free video. It was a World Cup 90 video. And uh, Lubo Moravchik was in it for Czechoslovakia. So there you go. That's how you remember these things. So I knew a wee bit about Moravchik, right? I like things like that, though, because we were talking about uh, the stereophonics a few weeks ago, you remember, on Screen Mm. Celica. And the reason I got into them uh, with the song A Thousand Trees was because it was on a mixed compilation of upcoming bands and the CD was attached to a, a cereal box of Golden Grahams. <laughs> <laughs> that is tremendous, mate. That is tremendous. Hey, by the way, I, I still think that was a great tune. Thousand Trees, oh, great. It was. It Superb was. track. I, I liked that. I actually liked that album. Word gets right. around. I really right, did. Definitely. I really did like that. But that, this is the thing. I mean, how difficult would it have been for Hugh Evans to to get on the news desk or speak to a player um, who had played in France, for example? You know, That's true. who might have, who might have had a wee bit of knowledge of Lubo, and you know, rather than that, he just dives in with the, the size nines and just writes them off. But we came back to on him. But there were so many bad kind of headlines around Celtic at that time I remember the the McCann one you know there was a picture of Fergus McCann alongside a picture of Saddam Hussein Russell and and I think if it wasn't the daily record it was the other red top Um, and I think you know the headline might have been dictator or something like that how on earth do you get away with that absolutely nonsensical 
See, Will's obviously it's a slightly different show tonight because Kev's not on anyway. So we can go down, well, we go down rabbit holes anyway. So, whilst we've got you on, obviously you're the the face right now of a massive, uh, you know, I don't know, what, where are we at in the Apple all-time list now? Must be number 17. Seventeen. I've gone right through that chat. The but, 17th I mean, most listened to podcast in the UK of all time. Now, you think of that with football. Why are football fans... Well, we know why, but why is it that correction is now happening so massively across all football and supporters now? Because it's not like it's only Celtic fans that are listening to fan-owned media. Loads of clubs are doing it, and and really successfully, like yourself as well. You listen to that quote from you, Kevin's now. Two sides to it. Firstly, he's not done any journalism whatsoever on Lubomir Maravchik. But he has a formed opinion on John Spencer. Mm. So that's good enough in the journalism stake. So I know about one of them. I know one's half decent, right? Secondly, is it is there a case of it playing to the gallery? And playing to your listenership and knowing that the majority of the time if you listen to Clyde One, you are going to be a Rangers or be a Celtic fan. Uh, Rangers at that point are the dominant team. Mm. Spending a lot more money than three hundred thousand pounds in a player, cheap pops are all good for the listening the 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 listening public that I've got you know tuning in right now, mm. and that's what it's that's what it seems to be about now. The reason I think fan media has been so successful, the bulletin, for example, being the main show in a state of mind, is because fans are sick of it. Fans are sick of it. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want shock jocks on there anymore. They know fine well when the when when it, when a Celtic state of mind goes out at half twelve every weekday, they know that I'm going to get hunters wrong. Do you know what I mean? Statistics, stats, and all that. You know what I mean? They know they're not going to agree with everything you say. They know that they're not going to agree with everything that Tony says. Or they might, in fact, everyone seems to agree with everything he says. I'll take that one back. But anyway, <laughs> everyone else. Do you know what I mean? They might not agree with it, but they know it's from the gut. Mm. They know that folk are just talking from their own mindset, from their own state of mind. And then it's like, that. what you end up with is a far more refreshing content. And I think you look back at this sort of time and how funny is it? You've got John Spence getting sent off for a daft elbow two yards away for a referee and Lubo colour home an absolute perler in the net. And you wonder why people are turning off MSM more and more and listening to like, so your, 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 your own... Uh, multimedia company I think yeah you're, uh, there's been years and years where you didn't have the choice they didn't have the, the variety and interesting enough you've obviously got a couple of big phone-ins in the kind of west side of, kind of uh, Scotland I've never really subscribed to that the phone-ins I've never really been a big fan um, for no other reason than it's just never been part of my day-to-day kind of existence but I know that they've been massive for years and I just think that, that a lot of the time they are agenda-driven Right, so if they try to drive an agenda, and that yeah. may be an anti-Celtic agenda, for years and years, a lot of Celtic fans might have had to either switch off or just put up with it. And it's, yeah. you know, now that fan media is uh, in the ascendancy, there's so much choice, which is great. But at the same time, I think back to when you know Sky TV was a new thing, and you thought this was great with all these channels. You very quickly realised that most of the channels were dross. 
So it's not just about giving loads and loads of uh, options. It's also to then try and, and give something that is bespoke Order. to a degree and yeah, quality. Yeah, yeah. Try and make it. And I think the quality comes from the the people who contribute. I think that if you get a team of people and there's an element of luck in there as well, Russell, where the people that are coming in um, all have a strong voice, a different voice, and right, are able to articulate it. You, you know? want to know the interview process, by the way? Five interviews, guys. Honestly, I was sitting there. I had to do a presentation <laughs> a lot. That was good. The, the PowerPoint presentation was good, Russell, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, but then I just think that you've got that. But then media is changing. You look at even how do we watch telly now? Nobody sits on a Tuesday night at half seven and says, right, my programme's on at. You know, everybody watches their TV on really YouTube, works. Netflix, Amazon Prime. Everything's got to be on demand, you know? And I just think that now, uh, with the, the podcasting and putting things on YouTube, miss it at half twelve because of your shift and just watch it at six. Fair enough, yeah. you can't comment live, but you can still get a flavour of who's saying what, um, who's agreeing, who's disagreeing, yes. and who's falling out. Strange enough, there's not been much falling out this season. Me and Lawrence have our moments, but uh, there's been plenty of disagreements, but that's fine. That's what it's all about. But I, I do think that alternative media is going to just go one way, and that's up. And I think, you know, we've seen print media for a long, long time. And, and there's a certain thing about me where I know that a lot of Celtic fans are, are probably celebrating the death of print media. There's certain titles, I mean... You know, my dad yeah. was a striking yeah, miner, yeah. and if if you weren't a friend of the striking miners in terms of the press, then you're no friend of mine, and that will never change. But you don't want to see good, hardworking, working class journalists, you know, getting pushed out because the circulation that might have been one Absolutely. million a day is down at hundred thousand. Um, so I, th- I just think there will be that kind of like transference of ability from print to online. But I, I, I do think that some of the big titles are catching up. They're playing catch up because there's, there is no agenda with a lot of the, the fan media stuff. I mean, I've said in the past, Russell, a lot of the figures this season has been because we've been so bad. Yeah. I would much rather the figures weren't as, as high and Celtic were doing well. And that day will come. Yeah. My, my, my big concern is it might not be as soon as we want it to happen, um, sure. especially while we're dragging our heels. But I, I just think you embrace it. You've got to embrace it. And uh, always try, I always say, whenever there's a zigging, you've got to zag. And if, <laughs> don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. Do your own Absolutely. thing. But I just think it is poignant because I, I was thinking about that exact quote. Um, you know, I, I think it was if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys, something like that. It said. And there was no racial connotation with that, but it was just he was basically saying it's that, uh, that, that you know you were you were you only were willing to spend three hundred thousand. You wouldn't push the boat out for John Spencer's, you know, whatever it was a week that he was on, and you're going to end up with a dumpling. Mm. It was nothing like that, um, and that is again because of the shock jock attempts that were for whatever reason, ever reason, obviously creating popularity at the time. Um, and now they just, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's because there's that many options out there as well. You don't mm-hmm. get away with that anymore. No. Because I can switch off to, say, if you listen to Clyde One at six o'clock, you just nailed it perfectly. I can switch that off in the car going home and have a plethora of, of podcasts that, as you just said a minute ago, you can listen to on demand. A plethora is a word, mate. Anything I remember. Back in the day, probably back in about 1999, actually, Russell, having a conversation, and it was all about 
propaganda in the media. Um, and there's some great Noam Chomsky books for anybody who likes a read to go out there. He just basically enlightens you all around the way that the world works, uh, especially in political and media terms. And I remember having this late night discussion with a friend of mine who won't be watching this, but um, oh, because he's not a big football fan, but he was a big music fan. And there was some kind of world um, issue happening in a country, a far flung country. And we were watching it. And I remember saying to him, you know, our whole life we have seen this. We've seen this disease and disaster and famine all our, our entire lives. And I think back to Band-Aid. And I remember watching all that live in everything, Russell, when I was a kid. And I says, but they're in so much power, the BBC, that they could make anything up they wanted. You know, the TV could tell us that man landed on the moon. And we would believe it. You know, know. and they they had that control to a much greater degree. And that is the very essence of propaganda where they could tell you just about anything and because you don't have an alternative, and that's why Mm -hmm. this is called alternative media, people tended to believe it. So you had almost almost party political broadcasts telling you how to think and how to vote. And we're both full of nonsense, by the way. We're just lying. The whole thing's just a whole set up, by the way, just (laughs) but you know (laughs) But I think being demanded as well. I mean it was always a wee bit ironic, wasn't it? So it was about starving kids, but Bob Geldof had dined out and I don't like Mondays for about 30 years, do you know what I mean? <laughs> aye, aye, I know. And see, the, th- the, the thing with the charity side of it as well is, um, you know, they do play in your heartstrings because I, I, I'm not saying don't give to charity, the absolute opposite. But I just think these big organisations, Russell, there's so many fat cats, um, you know, skimming for the top that you think back to that, and we're still seeing the same tragedies and the same famine and the same issues all these years later. And that's where you start thinking, what happened to all the millions, you know? And we, we try, uh, with regards to a Celtic state of mind, obviously starting last year and uh, on a live circuit prior to that, to give as much as we can. But trying to do it to local charities where you can hand over the money and they can actually say, this is what we've done with that cash. And, and trying to keep it in those terms because I just think there's so many people profiting from charity that well, I tend know, to avoid the bigger ones, you know. As you know, I used to do the, um, you know, the, the, the streams of Championship Manager mm. and that only really sort of took off the past sort of 20, 18 months and, it, and then lockdown happened and I started doing two different series. The Charlton one was called Into the Valley, which I know it'll make you laugh because... You know something, you have, you have a connection with that song title. I do. Um, and, uh, and then at night, I think we were in charge of Barnet FC, and it was called Dodgy Barnets, obviously. And uh, <laughs> we, we, but they, were, they were getting a lot, of, a lot of viewers. I say a lot of viewers, like 30, 40 folk watching a 20-year-old game. It's, it's no bad. And basically what we did was uh, on May the 1st last year, I just sat, and at this point, my mum was remember I wasn't meant to be living in the lungs for long. Right, lockdown happens. I'm like, I'm not, I'm sitting on a couch in a room with a laptop on my knees, and I did a stream for 24 hours straight, no sleep, no nothing, and raised like 1,700 pounds. That's immense. But I got like Gold.com journalist on uh, to interview about how he got into it. I had ex players from the game on, like who had played for Coventry and Cheltenham Town and stuff like that. It was class, and you, you go. That what I got the message I was getting at the time where this is a new media for us. That's what people were saying. They were going, Why would I want to watch what's on the telly when I can go on this and get real banter if, which is just I'm not gonna say it's soulful, it's a wee bit far when we're talking about a game, but it's from the soul, the part you were getting was just 
real. And mm. I think people are, there's not enough real in the world. I mean, there's a lot of Kardashian nonsense now, and you get a show like Scream Elka, which I'm grateful that so many people watch it and all that stuff, but it's like, I think they know. You know what I mean? He's not, like, there's no, no, he has a great there's no one trying too hard or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? That, there is a charm to that as well, though, because, I yeah. mean, some of the, my, my favourite podcasts are very much like that. Um, and you think, well, you could never expect to hear or see this on a mainstream channel, but that's the beauty of it. You know, it's renegade, yeah. it's rebellious, um, alternative, rebel, whatever you want to uh, describe it as. But that, that, for me, is the beauty of it. And I'm looking forward to um, your big plans to take it on the live circuit. You know, you and Kev, Kevin Boise, the Kevin Boise show. Um, <laughs> but I, I think... I think the, the charity element's brilliant because, again, because you're watching it in a click of a button or a click of a link, you can just throw a couple of quid in and then everybody come together. That's that's real community. And I think the Celtic State of Mind listeners did that in abundance last year. I mean, that was humbling. Yeah. I still think back to that and think, wow, 27, 28 grand that's raised incredible. over a weekend. Incredible. Unbelievable. Aye, it was you, know, you think If you think if you do something like that again next year as well, what, you know, we'll, we'll need to set a target of 30 just straight from the get-go because it will be higher. It will yeah. be bigger. There's a few things we're going to be doing differently. I mean, I think having a weekender is, is a great idea. Obviously, you've done it yourself. It's a tough gig, but okay. it's a great idea. Uh, but there'll be a few other wee bits that we're working on. There'll be a yeah. music element. Um, there'll be we might do a, an Arsom special. Um, I'm not saying if it's going to be <laughs> um, genuine or if we're going to get people into impression uh, impersonate certain uh, individuals. Um, but also, see, when I was a kid, mate, I, I was very probably still am to this day very obsessive about what I was focusing on like I, if I wanted to do something that I became obsessed by it until yep. I figured out a way how to do it right and uh, I remember reading a story about uh, George Conley the great George Conley who came from the same village as me and how he went round the Celtic Park doing keepy uppies and I remember reading in this article how he could do 1500 keepy uppies right now I was just a kid I was maybe I don't know 11 or 12 when I read this and I thought wow that's incredible. I want to do that, right? So what I started doing was going out and practicing every single night with a football. And you go from having a record of 100 to having a target of 250, the same right, 1,000. And you get a 1,000, you think, right, I want to do 2,000. And then you build up and build up. I'm not going to reveal how much I managed to do because a lot of people don't believe you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to build this into my charity because I'm going to give a figure um, out to the... Axon uh, audience and say, well, you know, I'm going to try and raise that figure by doing that amount of keepy uppies. Yes. And the camera doesn't lie because I'm going to have to do it on camera. Brilliant. But I did Brilliant. read, I read two things that interested me just to give you an idea of the figure because I'm not going to reveal it. But I remember reading about a player who we actually interviewed recently on a Celtic State of Mind, Stuart Slater. And Stuart Slater, yes. could do, he could do 10,000. And I thought, that's not bad. And then I read um, recently, I read recently Pat Nevin, because Pat Nevin's released a book, and I spoke to Pat last week, and he could do 10,000 at the age of eight, and I thought, that's no bad. What? Aye, at the age of eight. So uh, I'm going to work that into some kind of charitable thing, because people will say, there's no way you can do that figure. And I'll say, well, chuck a few quid in then, and we'll, we'll see about that. Yep. Like and we'll, that. Get it, we'll, we'll get it filmed. We'll have to have a sped up version for people who can't be bothered watching it but there will be proof available that'd be brilliant that'd yeah. be brilliant well we let's go into the music let's go into the music good year for music this by the way very good well, year for music I mean obviously you were producing last week Paul and I mean 
the struggle for me and Kev was real. It was, I could tell. It was only nine years after this vintage year. It's okay. I mean, I'm talking about it was the worst chart of it. Mm. I, I can't... I don't know now. My worry for Screaming Circus, how do we actually do anything past 2008? So if 2008 was that bad, it's only got worse, has it not? I think like, it has. I think it has, mate. Whoa. I mean, I look at the... I'm a big downloader. My big brother's far more of a traditionalist when it comes to music. He, We used to meet up once a month and go to Edinburgh and we would yep. go with our wages and we'd go clothes shopping and music shopping, have right. a couple of drinks and then come back home to Fife. That's what we used yep. to do once a month. That was the brotherly thing that we did. Cool. And it was all physical music, you know. And, and it's this yep. era that we're talking about. We're talking the 90s. And yep. then he would he would turn me on to different things and I would do likewise. And that's just the way it worked. He's continued that. He still buys all his music physically. My brother's only 11 months older than me, so we've got a lot in common. But... I don't buy physical music anymore. Everything I buy is download, mate. Everything. Um, but a lot of it is retrospective buying. You know, I'm, I'm going back on discographies that I've sure. maybe um, explored for an album or two. Very little new music. I like the snuts. I, I did like that. Um, and of course, we've got our own music show, Unplugged, and I'm trying to get as many new bands on that as possible. And they're turning me on to new music because I was writing to my new music always having your finger on a pulse. I think it's, it, the easier it's got to access, the more difficult it is to find the bands that mean something. Yeah, that's a good point. You know? Well, it's like, it's like, have you ever thought about it? See when you got a jukebox, right? You used to go to a jukebox, right? It'd be one of the older ones and you could see the CDs sliding along to like, queue up your song. How many CDs was there, Paul? 10, 20? You spent your money easy. You, spent, you go up to a jukebox now, it's got, Every song in the world on it, and your mind goes blank straight. <laughs> I can't even think of any. This is the this is the thing, and and by the way, I'm going to have to pull this one up because I love this. I could talk about this all night. Zinco Vix, Blood Oasis. <laughs> <laughs> not even a question, mate. They're, they're not night and day for me. Eh? Night and day. You see what one's I love, a right? Comedy band, man. One's got Matt Lucas cutting about in a doctor's suit. You know what I mean? That was that, that was a, a that was a poor that was a poor moment. I've got to say. Um, I remember. At the school, um, Oasis, and buying definitely maybe on cassette. I remember that because at that time I had a, a paper round because that was the done thing, but I had right. more than one paper. I'd done, the, I'd done the Sean Puffy Coombe thing and went to the paper shop when I moved into the area and asked them how many rounds they had and says, give me them all because I had to buy for a Celtic season ticket. And then you obviously had a bike and you'd done as many as you can. But I, I bought that definitely maybe and I was hooked from the first listen I was hooked from the very first time I heard Love Forever with that video with Liam sitting on a chair stuck on the wall in the video aye aye so I know that they had released Supersonic and Shaker Maker before Love Forever but they'd gone over my head or under the radar yeah and then I heard that song and I just thought wow so I was Oasis first and then I remember the whole Blood V Oasis thing and all that um, but I've got to say also a big Blur fan also a very big Blur fan and I've, I've seen both bands live and they were both excellent live and you yeah, know I've seen Blur live and they were absolutely dreadful was it Tina Park? Ah, he made up some excuse that they'd been like delayed and that he just came out wrecked he was rolling about the floor singing and that I was like what are you doing? I thought yep. you were making me the intellectual one Damon you know what I mean I thought he was the well he's a genius and that look at the stadium you know, I remember that like, yeah. And they were, they were 45 minutes late. It was poor. And then they played 
They played tender for at least 15 minutes. See the thing with that, mate? I'm going to go against some of my musical kind of like um, taste here because I remember that Tina Park being famous for the Mogwai t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And I don't like swearing, but I'm quoting the t-shirt, blur, our shite, right? And that, that was the Mogwai t-shirt. And I'm a massive Mogwai fan. But... Um, one show with me, that's Paul swearing now and everything. I know, I know. I'm quoting Mogwai. I'm allowed to quote Mogwai. But Blur, I have got a lot of time for Blur. But if I was to pick, you know, it's like the knack of your Lubo thing. If I was to pick, I picked Lubo and I'll pick Oasis. Good, good. Talk to us about your CD for the week, mate. Well... You gave me the rules because, as you quite rightly said, I'm normally on the buttons. I'm normally just right. sitting here on the buttons. So the rules were not necessarily released this week, but yep. certainly in the charts this week. Because if you yep. were asking for a release, I might have been struggling. So the album, and at some point I'll chuck in a few of the others that sure. you know I was fond of, but the album that played a massive part, it wasn't released this week, but it was sitting at number 29 in the charts, was Air with Moon Safari. What an LP this was, right? And I guess I've got my my, my musical tastes and I like mm-hmm. a bit of the old indie rock. I like rap. Um, in fact, I like hip-hop. I like just about everything, mate. Um, the, Could the, you see I, you with a visor on Upside Down, Paul, cutting about Don Oh, man. <laughs> You've seen it. Did you say you've seen it? And uh, no, I, I like everything other than it would be easier for me to say other than I don't like kind of death metal stuff. I don't like mm-hmm. that stuff that goes far too loud and shouty. Um, I think the, the my level stops in terms of hard hard rock probably stops at Rage Against the Machine, who I love. But right. anything anything harder than that, and I'm struggling. Um, but just about anything else, I love it and air. Moon Safari was a wee bit of a departure because it was one of the ones, all I kept reading at the time was that it was a coffee table album, Russell. I always <laughs> remember people using this new term, well, it's a coffee table album. So it was one of these ones that if you went to a trendy bar or if you went to you know somewhere trendy in Edinburgh to get your hair cut, which obviously I never did, um, <laughs> you might hear this album in the background, you know? And then there was loads of other albums that came out maybe on the back of that, um, by bands like Roiksop and all these other bands that Elbow. had that, you know. And the the big thing for me with the uh, and I've got it on this laptop here with, with Moon Safari. Everything about it, um, the best song on it was the the classic, which was also a single. It was called All I Need for me, right? But you also had a song possibly about you called Sexy Boy that was on it which was a big big single um, but it was it was it was just classic kind of down tempo it was a French album uh, I remember and, uh, Sexy Boy the song though I do oh, remember it, it very well it was great and then on the single well. of that you had like remixes from the likes of Beck you know, and they were just like there was this movement of this kind of lo-fi kind of wasn't it dancey. There was a the bit of the electronic about them, you know. Mm-hmm. And these two French guys came out with that. And then, of course, you want to know more about them. And yep. then they do a, a they do a soundtrack uh, for the Virgin Suicides records. And uh, eventually, I seen them live. And I probably got into other kind of music like Boards of Canada through. Air, Air were my gateway into something a wee bit more obscure because Boards of Canada were a wee bit more obscure. There was less kind of focus on the vocal 
with boards of car, more instrumental. And then that took me down this other diverse route of things like the Apex Twin, which was just bizarre, but good fun at the same time. And then, you know, even further afield, maybe into things like um, Frenchman 3, that obviously became, got me interested in spiritualised. And then the most bizarre gig I was ever at was as a result of this bizarre journey that air put me on, right? So I got into Spaceman 3, and one of the guys, obviously, that Kevin bangs on about, and quite rightly so, is Jason Pierce, who went on to form Spiritualised. Yep. And everything that he ever did was just genius. But one of the other guys went on to form Sonic Boom, that was the name. So you can think Street Fighter 2, Sonic Boom, right? <laughs> and they did a gig. They did a gig, or he did a gig, in the secret bunker in St. Andrews. The hidden secret bunker that's on road signs, so it's not that big a secret, right? Have you ever been, no? Secret bunker in St. Andrews? In Fife? And you go there, and it's obviously underground. He did a gig in there. Wow. It was like, honestly, it was like the meth lab in Breaking Bad the underground meth lab that was underneath the laundry. And I went down there, the laundrette, to watch this gig, and it was the most bizarre but spectacular gig I've ever been to. Wow. So there you go. That was my kind of air moon safari experience. But even now when I hear that album, tremendous. Takes you down. Coffee so table you album, album at, the t- at the time it came out? I did, aye. Which actually came out in 98, but it was still in the charts by the time oh, February '99 came around, you know it was still in there, and it was just phenomenal, superb so, album. Were they getting much radio player? How is it? Because obviously it's important to think. You need to remember at that point in time you weren't just. I, I used to bump. Honest truth, and I've said this for the reason I've, I've got Northern Soul tattooed my arm because I thought it was cool when I got it right. And uh, but the, the honest truth is, I got a Northern Soul via a KFC advert. I just went, I heard that. I heard some, I need to find out with that song. Is that's amazing? I liked it that much. And there's more easy ways now to find out about music. The majority of the time, I find it's when your mate shares it on a social media platform and, yeah. or tags you it or sends you on WhatsApp and goes, just heard this, mate, you're going to love that. Fair enough. But then it was more, was it the radio they were on? They, they would have been, but there was also at that time, and this is bizarre because um, obviously MTV had had its heyday, right? Yeah. And we all remember... Them turning in the box now. The box. Uh, well, MTV uh, launched, and I don't even know if the channel still exists, but they launched like a sister channel, and it was called M Two, and it was all the kind of more indie, left field, alternative music. And Air got loads of airplay, airplay you on M Two, M Two. Wasn't VH Two? There was also a VH Two. There was, there was also a VH2. Very much that cut for that cloth as well. VH2 was brilliant. It was more alternative. And you got into bands like Air through these channels. But also the guy that I had that psychedelic conversation with where we basically spoke about BBC propaganda, inventing countries to get our money for charity. Sure. He was into electronic music and he used to buy a magazine called uh, Jockey Slot. And it was a monthly magazine, and it would introduce you to bands oh, like ah, you know, jockey slot. Uh, it was like disc jockey, DJ slot kind of thing. If you're a jockey slot, and it was like Air and the Beta Band and all these Death in Vegas and all these bands that ordinarily you might not have known about, but they were introducing you. And every month there was a seat, there was a a magazine mounted disc of tracks. So that was also a way that that uh, bands were being introduced to you through cover-mounted cassettes and CDs, mate, like you said, with your Golden Grails. 
No, that's what it was like. I mean, I remember as well, my mum and dad, I don't know if they were like, new, well, they were new to CDs, and I don't know if they were, someone just convinced them this is what you did. But it was this uh, company called Britannia, mm. right? Mm. right? I'll rip that, off, that man. in the catalogue before he opens it and that. <laughs> but he was like, they just sold, like, they sold all the up-to-date albums that you could get them delivered to your door. And you did it like a once-a-month subscription. You would get like one CD free. And then if you wanted more, you'd maybe get them discounted compilation ones and all that. So they would get like three, four CDs a month. Do you know what Aye. I mean? Yeah. So whatever they'd had the month before, I'd be like, right, well, I'll have that. See you later. And take it up to my room and just give it a blast. Do you know what I mean? The, number, the top 40 rock anthems of all time. There was always a compilation because they had you over a barrel, mate, because the Britannia Club, you had to purchase a CD every month, right? Yes. And it was proper. Right. So they used to like advertise in all the magazines. So it was like, you get 10 CDs for 99 pence. And you thought, wow. But you were signing your life over, man. So yep. your next, your, they got all your money back because every CD you bought thereafter was at least 14.99. And if you didn't, if you didn't, actually select one they sold you they sent you one right and it was always yep. like the top 40 air guitar classics with fucking yep. Van Halen and all this rubbish yeah. on it and that that was the biggest crooked system ever because that big box would come through your door that big yep. cardboard box and it would be like oh 40 of the worst air guitar <laughs> rock songs man every month uh, volume that- 17 oh Britannia <laughs> It's not like you can go online and unsubscribe then, mate. You know I know. I mean? You had to write them letters. It was like the Reader's <laughs> Digest, man. You couldn't get rid of them. <laughs> Our house was the same, right? So there was always a book that dropped on the through the, the, the letterbox and a CD, and both of them were rotten. So even if you still go round to my mum's house, right, there's a bookshelf where, like, 300 volumes of dross and it was all the Reader's Digest stuff and then the Britannia shelf and it was all the worst bands in the history of music because nobody could be bothered selecting a CD terrible and totally worthless all these years later totally worthless yep I remember it so well such a scam mate such a scam but one of the good CDs that must have came from them because I think that was the only thing they got was a George Michael, ladies and gentlemen, the best of. And that is the CD I'm covering now. Everyone just calm down. Calm ladies down. and gentlemen, you've calm already down. said that. I like that, no? Um, George Michael has been a hero of mine latterly in my life. I would say the last sort of six years or so, seven years. Um, again, I've said this sort of before on Scream of Silk, I was... The best, I had the best music weapon you could ever dream of having, that was a jukebox. Because you cannot predict who next puts a pound in it. So you are, you are, and you've got no choice but to let them play it, even if it's terrible, do you know what I mean? But like the amount of genres you're then accessing to, and because it's your jukebox, I had speakers like, like we, we box ones over the bar. I had like bigger ones in the far corner. The sound system in the pub was awesome, right? So any song was kind of getting elevated to sounding a wee bit better than it was anyway. Do you know what I mean? Well, what I would say is each song was getting a fairer crack of the whip because of the quality of, you know, the, of the, the audio. And so, the ambiance, mate, the ambiance of the bar, you know, so yeah. you're, in a, you're in an environment yeah. where it sounds good as well, eh? Totally, totally. So it was like George Michael's getting played by this, this guy uh, called Jukebox Handy, funnily enough. I don't think it was his real first name, but... <laughs> You never know, he did play it a lot. <laughs> but uh, 
uh, he, had, he had put on George Michael, and uh, there was this song called Star People 97, and ah, oh, and give it a chance. It is a fantastic, the best version of it is on MTV Unplugged, right. which I have spoke with JP Mason at, at length about is potentially the best MTV Unplugged of all time. Um, and Star People has lyrics that are more poignant probably today than ever. But basically the crux of the matter is George Michael was big because George Michael was good. And then his attitude is that everyone else is just there because they've got a wee sob story about uh, the mum never used to love them and their daddy left them when they were young. He's like, everyone's on Parkinson basically a sob story. And he says, is that what makes a star? Um, Counting the money until your soul turns green. I'm like, that's just good. Um, I also, like, obviously, I think there was another song which I didn't actually know about when I was having this wee sort of listening to a lot more of his pop numbers. And then I watched a documentary on his life, which was funny enough getting made, not knowing he was going to die. It was mm. just getting made about him. And um, obviously I'm heavily influenced by Liam Gallagher and all that stuff. And he features in it um, with a couple of stories about George Michael. The first one being... Yeah, I remember I moved into the same street as him. Uh, he was in the first day I moved. The biggest bouquet of flowers you've ever seen in your life came. Welcome to the neighbourhood. Lots of love, George. <laughs> because that's how you play Liam Gallagher. He's on, he's on, he didn't know what to do with it. Um, and then they spoke about a song called Praying for Time, mm-hmm. which I, again, had never heard in my life. And uh, it was getting, basically they were saying, that could be a John Lennon song, it's that good, do you know what I mean? Just for, He's just a better singer as well. It is outstanding, I recommend, recommend it to anyone. And then, I like his more upbeat numbers as well, the more pop ones, if you want to call them that. Doesn't bother me, I'm all for that. Fast love, all good, you know. My friends have got their ladies, they're all having babies, but I just want to have some fun. I love that, nothing wrong with that. And I think... Um, in a world where we are looking for equality and all that, and we want to be very much, don't judge anyone for their sexuality or anything like that. If you actually look back at what happened with George Michael when it was he was exposed as being gay mm-hmm. by being set up by an American copper to go up to him because they had a hunch he might be and offer him whatever it is they offered him in the toilet to, to, to catch him out. Make his mugshot, lower everyone. His whole family now find out that that's how he's gay by doing it that way. And then you get Michael Parkinson, I think it was, asking him, you know, are you ashamed that that's how you came out? You know, you don't wish you told me. He goes, that's right, Michael. I forgot I had to tell the BBC that I was gay. Do you know what I mean? Forget that way. You know know what? That's interesting. He says, see what I did in those toilets? Okay, I'm a wee bit silly because it was a setup. He goes, but what I was offered, you'd all do it. (laughs) (laughs) See the thing, right? That's interesting that you mentioned that interview because not as research, but because I, you know, I watch a lot of interviews. I watch a lot of interviews and I've recently watched that interview that you're talking about. Um, And he's very open about it, isn't he? And he's like, uh, he's He's poking fun. Nah, he's poking fun at himself. And um, I, I just think, see, when you're growing up as well, right, there's certain when I was younger, and I, I think this has probably changed as well because there's not as many musical icons as there were back in the day. So I was lucky that my mum and dad had very good music taste, right? 
and and so the records that were being played in my house were very I didn't realise at the time but it was good music so yeah. when you're listening to Bowie and you're listening to all these fantastic the Beatles and all this kind of stuff it's later on that you think wow I appreciate the fact that my folks weren't the good music yeah. but the kind of superstars of the time the topical superstars of the time were Madonna Prince Michael Jackson and George Michael and George yeah. Michael, I remember him as far back. And Adam and the Ants earlier on, but he disappeared. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, Adam Ant disappeared, but I remember George Michael with Wham. So these th- these figures were like omnipresent. And you probably took them for granted a wee bit because it was all kind of, you thought, kind of pop music and all the rest of it. But then as you get a wee bit older, Russell, right, and you actually take Michael Jackson out the equation for obvious reasons, right, but you look at Prince, you look at the, the quality of what Prince's output, unbelievable, Right, yeah. and uh, you you look back at his performance, and not just as a singer, as a guitarist, unbelievable uh, musicianship, yeah. unbelievable dancer, unbelievable entertainer. Madonna, I really realised kind of later on in my life just how incredibly varied her musical back catalogue was to the point where, in the year two thousand, I went to an Earl's Court to watch her live, and it was my intention. Oh, I watched Madonna. Good. Unbelievable. The person wow. who was on guitar, going back to my wee uh, Air, Moon Safari, Roik Sop, Death in Vegas vibe, was uh, Jack LeConte, right? Jack LeConte of Les Rhythm Digitalis, right? <laughs> You're going to get banned for this. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was his name, right? And he was on guitar for Madonna. It was at Errol's Court. Wow. In 2000, went down, flew down, to see Madonna and you know I would have done the same with Prince I would have done the same with uh, George Michael because there's, there's a as you get a wee bit older and a wee bit more mature you then actually start listening to what you're hearing Russell rather than just it's all just pop and bubble gum and all the rest of it when you get older you listen to the tunes and I just look at him what a talent I mean what a voice George Michael had you, you just got to watch his performances with Queen Yep. which I'm sure you've watched many, many, many times. The vocal range was unbelievable. He's um, the only one to sing in the same key as Freddie Mercury. Incredible. Of all acts, and, great, uh, and great hair, mate. Aye. Oh, aye. A great fosh. <laughs> I remember as well, I mean, like, there was also, like, when he, when he you know, when he, when he was uh, exposed, whatever you want to call it, as being gay, he just, well, what does he do? He comes out dressed as an, as the American policeman who lifted him. He has Great you video. funning into disco balls. Brilliant. And you're going, and he, oh, you're good. That is rock and roll to me, if you know. And that is, come, that is what it's all about. It's two fingers to the establishment. You know, it's just, ah. Uh, brilliant. And, brilliant. and look, by the way, this is the thing as well. I've never seen a cop looking that sharp. You know what I mean? <laughs> because he's, with the short sleeves and the shades and all that. Nah, I didn't see that in Fife. And I think you look back at his earlier stuff as well. You'll get careless whisper, you know, the guilty feet have got no rhythm. He's writing that at 16. Mad. Like, who's coming up with lyrics like that at that age? It's it's, it's mind-boggling. Mind and then the faith stuff. And then again, another man, The reason, one of the reasons I like him, a very principled man, tied up in a contract with Sony, who were completely mm. ripping the mick out of it and wanting albums churned out every six months or from what... And, uh, and he just... He basically is that principle. He went, took it to court and lost, and then just goes, sound, when does the contract then? Oh, not till like 1996. This was only 91 or something. He goes, cool, see you then. And they're like, what? 
He did yeah. not release music for six years in his peak, peak years. And that's how, well, I, I don't mind the minimum principles or something. He goes, there's no way you're making one more penny off me. Mm. And if I, if I want to do what I love, you make money off it still. So no, I'll just wait till that's gone. Yeah, it's like, you know, going back to Prince, obviously I think it was Warner Brothers that, yep. yeah, that he was in dispute with. Slave on the face. George Michael done the video and instead of Sony, it was phony and all this kind of stuff. So they were putting the messages out there. Um, but again, I, we've already mentioned charity work, unbelievable work, hidden work, anonymous work for charities throughout his life as well. So Ten million pounds they reckon he'd donated. Yeah. And then, obviously, to top it all off, he turned down Simon Kill for X Factor. They reckon every year that Pop Idol X Factor's been on, he's been phoned, and he said no every single time. Because that's the whole point. He's going, why Principles. would I be on something like that? Why would no. I be on something like that? The rubbish. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, no, you're right. I mean, I think sometimes people, when you you talk about somebody called Les Rhythm Digitalis, and the, the lead guys called Jack LeConte, people think, you're just name-dropping to sound as though you've got a quirky taste in music. And, and in a way, I think a lot of people do do that, Russell, because they're too cool yeah. for school. But I was so deep into my alternative tunes back then, I was listening to all that kind of stuff. But then you've also got to have an appreciation for good music. And it doesn't matter, like I said at the top of the show, it doesn't matter what type of music that is, what genre that music is. George Michael was just a classic songwriter, with a tremendous voice, and he was a great entertainer. Perfect. We will wrap it up there. That was quality, Paul. I enjoyed that. Remember, me back on. the subscribe button says somewhere like that. Somewhere like that, anyway. Hopefully, Kev, uh, Kev Graham will be back next week for Screamer Selka and doesn't put me in the, in, the, in the boss's chair ever again, you know what I mean? Uh, big thanks to Paul John Dykes for coming on, and we'll see you all next week. What's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.